so I have prepared just a small um, thing to share with you this evening. Um, I guess following on from our theme for the year of Come Closer. And um, over the last couple of months, we heard from Ruth Vanniershot, who brought two messages that I felt really dovetailed beautifully into this theme of Come Closer. The first um, message that she shared with us was about um, do not be afraid, do not fear, for I am with you. And then she unpacked with us, well, why, um, partly from her own life story, why with God with us do we not have to fear? And just that sense that when God is with us, then all of who he is is available to us when, when he is with us and when we are with him and when we draw closer to him. And so um, she unpacked that a little bit. And I don't know about you, but phrases stick in my head. I'm a words girl. And um, she used this word in that first um, talk that she gave. She, she described herself as having anxious vigilance. I don't know if you remember that, but it's something that really stuck with me because I've realized that a lot of my life I try to manage with my anxious vigilance. And and so just again remembering in this whole journey this year of responding to God's invitation to come closer of just stopping when I recognize that swirl starting to happen of my anxious vigilance. Um to just draw in close and know that in his presence, all of who he is, is available to us. And then um, she went on to share in her second message about the fact that the other thing that is really important um, as we draw close or come close to God is the provision of his comfort for us. And uh, so if you weren't here for either of those two messages, they are podcast and I would really encourage you to avail yourself of those, even if you just need to listen to them again. There was just such depth and content in there that it would really be worth um, having a listen back through. But I have then been thinking, I guess, in the last month in the lead up to this um, meeting, about my own journey again in responding to the invitation to come closer. And one of the things that I started doing was looking at some of the encounters of women with Jesus that we read in Scripture. What did it look like for those women as they came closer? What... Um, what was the outworking of that? Sometimes we get only tiny snippets of their stories, and but some of those stories are really well represented in Scripture. And particularly given the culture of the time, it's really significant how many women's stories are recorded in Scripture as they encountered Jesus. So I want to ask you to start with which woman or women come to mind for you when you consider coming closer to Jesus from a scriptural point of view? Are there any women who leap out at you? 
there's Esther, although she didn't encounter Jesus as such. So, I mean, she had an incredible faith and we certainly can learn a huge amount from her. But if we're thinking about women who lived in the time of Jesus and encountered him or spent time with him and that you would feel kind of epitomized being close to him, that drawing closer to him. The Samaritan woman, yep, definitely. Mary, yeah, Mary. Uh, When I was thinking about it, I think for me when I think particularly around that intimacy and that closeness and that coming closer, it's definitely Mary that pops fairly immediately into my mind. Um, In fact, I kind of have always really put her up a bit on a pedestal as to this is what the ideal picture of coming closer might look like. And so whether that is her seated at Jesus's feet when um, Martha is blustering around in the kitchen and getting it wrong, which is what I always have thought. I don't actually think that anymore, but I used to think Mary was getting it right and Martha was just completely getting it wrong. And I I always have struggled with recognising or representing myself much more as a Martha person and a doing kind of a girl than I am a Mary kind of a girl. And there was a lot of years where I just figured Jesus would love Mary more than he loved Martha because Mary could just sit at his feet. And I mean, that's probably another whole story, but I don't believe that that's what was going on there. In that moment, Mary was choosing what was needed and quite clearly from Martha's reaction, it was what she needed as well. She was just a bit flustered and trying to get things done and feeling a bit hard done by. And But whether it's that picture of Mary or in fact the picture of Mary that we see again later in Jesus' ministry before he goes to the cross where in John she's named. So in John the account where the woman anoints Jesus with the very um, costly oil, we're told in John that that's Mary of Bethany and that's where Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived. So we're it's fairly reasonable, I think, to believe that Mary or the woman who anointed Jesus with oil before his burial is actually the same Mary who sat at his feet. Um, in Matthew and Mark, she's not named. She's an unnamed woman. And there are a few things. One of the accounts talks about anointing feet and the other one talks about pouring them over um, Jesus's head. But it, was, it occurred in Bethany, it occurred around a meal time, it occurred um, in just a complete selfless act of worship. And um, Andrew referred to that in, on Sunday when we were preparing for communion, I think, of just that sense of she came with this expensive oil just completely and extravagantly to worship Jesus. She didn't come with any of her own set of needs at the time. She pushed through all of the protocol that there would have been in her era about entering into a place where men were gathered together. Um, And she selflessly and extravagantly worshipped Jesus. And What I'd like to do um, before I unpack that a bit more is just to read the accounts um, in both John and Mark. So in John, she's named and in Mark, she's not. 
There's a story as to why my Bible's still in its box. I know, I, I think I can manage. Thank you, though. <clears throat> my new puppy ate my other Bible because leather covers are apparently really tasty. And so Andrew was very kind and actually bought me this very lovely Bible, but I can't bear for it not to be out of the box when it gets carted around in its box at the moment. I'll get over myself. but <laughs> So I've still got my other Bible because he only ate the cover, but because <laughs> the rest's intact. Uh, so I'm just going to read from John first where Mary is named and then we'll read Mark. So this is John 12 and says... Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Um, as they gave a dinner for him there, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, I love this, Mary therefore, I'm not quite sure why it's therefore, like they were all sitting around the table, and therefore Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was the one who would betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. It goes on to say, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. Oh, sorry, for the poor you will, um, you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And then Mark's account of this same um, anointing can be found in Mark 14. And so again, this is at Bethany. We're talking now about it being at Simon the leper's house, but we don't actually know whose house the other one was at. So, And while he was at Bethany in, Simon the, um, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster fl um, flask of, oint and oint of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some there who said indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have sold for more than 300 denarii and be given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It's a pretty significant promise from Jesus, isn't it? Um, for this moment of extravagant sacrificial worship of Jesus. Mary knows Jesus. She knows him well. She's done life with him. Um, she's seen him perform miracles, including, as we read, the resurrection of her own brother. And her act of adoration so moves Jesus that he makes that declaration that this, this will always be remembered. What she's done will, when the gospel is proclaimed in anywhere in the world, what she's done will be remembered. So 
I guess you might see why it seems to be this perfect picture of come closer. But as I reflect on Mary, I'm going to ask you the same question because I asked this of myself. How does this story of adoration and coming closer, how do you feel in, as you reflect on your own journey? Do, do you relate to Mary? And so some of us will absolutely relate to Mary or know at least of moments or experiences in your life where you very much relate to that extravagant worship and that drawing closer, not because you are coming with your need, but in fact you're coming to worship him. And I understand that her adoration flowed out of encountering Jesus' love for her. It came first because she just simply sat at his feet when he was around and basked and received um, his love. And um, I understand that this wasn't some act of works, but it was just an overflow of her relationship with Jesus. But if I'm honest, whilst there are definitely moments in my life and my walk with the Lord where I can relate to that, Mostly I just find her a really impractical model. That sounds really unspiritual, doesn't it? I really wrestle when I read the accounts of her extravagant worship with actually feeling very inadequate in my capacity to worship Jesus so extravagantly. I, that whole thing of it, that if, if this is what coming closer looks like, if it looks like me coming with no agenda or need, um, sufficiently, I, I was thinking about the wording of this today, but I feel like when I look at Mary or I imagine that picture, I feel like she came sufficiently undone by Jesus to not care what everybody else thought, but actually also completely having it together enough to love Jesus well. And I just, I don't know how to get that. I don't know how to get that balance. How do you get that balance of being sufficiently undone by the extravagant love that Jesus has shown us but then be kind of put together enough to be able to do that well? Like I, that's, that's my stuff. That's not – that is just – when I look at her, I think, oh, if that's what coming closer looks like, I have got so far to go, God, because I fall very f- – short of that and so I was reading this book today which wasn't about worship but um but I read this quote and I thought oh yes I I relate to this he said I think most Christians learn to live with a low level of guilt that comes from not doing enough we know we should pray more give more evangelize more so we get used to living in a state of mild disappointment with ourselves (laughs) and yet this is I was going to read this in in response to that, because Jesus reminded me of this passage um, earlier today. Uh, This is in 1 John 3, and this is from the Passion Translation. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience, and he knows everything there is to know about us. My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we are we are bold, we have sorry we have bold freedom to speak face to face with god 
I love that. My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face to face with God. And whenever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commands. So I'm just being real with you. When I look at Mary, I think, okay, there are definitely parts of her story that I can relate to and moments in my life but there are also seasons where if that is the only reflection of what it looks like to come closer to Jesus then I feel like I miss the mark and so I guess that's my question is that the only picture of what it looks like to come closer and I'm going to give you a resounding no it's a rhetorical question I'm going to give you the answer and so what I want to do is just look at three other women who encountered Jesus and came closer to him just so we can see that it can look different and so one of those is the Samaritan woman Rose who you mentioned before she's really one of my favorites it's one of my favorite encounters that's recorded and it's actually the most lengthy um, encounter recorded we're not going to read it now but it's verses 3 to 30 tells us her story like that's a significant amount of time invested to tell us about this one encounter with this woman so this woman where she's unnamed we don't know her name she's in the midst of her very ordinary day-to-day mundane life and it's a broken life she's there in the middle of the day because She's so ostracised from her community that she can't collect water with the other women when it's cooler. She's there in the heat of the day because she has no friends, because her lifestyle has actually ostracised her from her community. She's living in her sin. She's emotionally and relationally broken. And Jesus deliberately positions himself where she will come across him. I find that incredible. He was in an area of Samaria where really Jewish people didn't like to go at all. They really had a very much hate-hate relationship with the Samaritans. And he was on his way to Jerusalem. But he took a detour to meet with this woman. There's nothing accidental about this. He even made sure that his disciples had gone off to get food so he would get one-on-one time with her. And he makes the first move. I can imagine her coming with her massive water pot, with her head bowed low, seeing this man at the well and thinking, I just want to get water and go home. And he opens the conversation with her. He talks to her. I mean, that's totally a break with protocol and says, would she get him a drink of water? But in fact, all of that, just so that he can get a conversation with her that hits on her very need, which is the living water, which she will never thirst again. You see, this woman is thirsty. She is so thirsty. Everything in her life is, feels like lack. And, and sh- she meets this man who tells her that he has access to living water with which she will never thirst again. The thing that's incredible to me about this conversation with this woman is Jesus doesn't skirt skirt round her issues at all. Um, But however, we don't know exactly his tone of voice. We don't know what his facial expression is. But however he addressed the issues in her life, yes, you're right. The man you currently live with is not your husband and you've had five before him. 
However Jesus did that, she, wasn't, she did not hide in her shame. It did not make her retreat. It actually caused her to run back to the very people who had ostracized her and declare, I think I've met the Messiah. And he's told me everything I've ever done. And I don't think we should make any mistakes. She was basically leading with her sin right there. Because they all knew what she'd done. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day. They knew the sinful life she lived. And yet this encounter with Jesus, and, and remember, this is the first person he's ever revealed that he's the Messiah to. I mean, that's incredible. This woman at the well, whose testimony would not be believed by anybody in the natural at all, as a, both a woman and as a woman of low reputation, and yet she rushes into her town and what she says is enough to draw people back to Jesus. And it, we, we read in scripture, Jesus then spent days with them, sharing with them. And, um, and many came to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. And so she comes closer at his invitation. So there is a response that she makes. But to his invitation, she comes closer at his initiation. She receives salvation. She receives freedom. And she's actually released into her calling. She's considered to be one of the earliest evangelists in that she then went back and told people about Jesus. So I just want us to think about her and remember that coming closer can doesn't always look like we've got everything together. And that in this case, Jesus was the initiator. He, he, set, he set, it was a setup. It was a setup. In Luke um, chapter 13, we read about a woman who was bowed over with a spirit of infirmity. Again, she's a nameless woman. She's not mentioned. But she's positioned outside of the synagogue. She would have been the least observed person at the synagogue. She was a woman. She was also a disabled woman. Um, but Jesus sees her. And I won't read the account now, but... Um, he sees her and he calls her over. He, so she hasn't called out to him. She hasn't expressed her need to him. She is at this point bowed low in her infirmity. She doesn't ask anything of Jesus. She doesn't address him in any way. But he's moved with compassion and he calls her over. She comes, so she responds to his invitation again. But then he speaks healing over her. And he lays his hand on her, which again, just that, that physical touch. And she is immediately, completely physically healed and begins praising God. So again, we have this story. So only like this is a, this is a seven verse um, inf inf story that unfolds in Luke 13. I encourage you to have a read of it. Um, but again... She's not come to Jesus with a set of needs. She's not even thought herself worthy to ask. She's just bowed low, not just it talks about a spiritual spirit of infirmity, but every part of her is bowed low and Jesus sees her. And then finally, I wanted to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And we find her story in Luke 8, um, um, yeah, Luke 8, 43 to 48. Again, it's a very small snippet. In fact, Jesus is on his way elsewhere. And this woman, she's desperate. 
She's without hope. She's exhausted. She's financially bankrupt. We're told she's spent absolutely everything she has. She is out of options. And she, her desire so overrides everything else to actually be able to get near Jesus to see if she can be healed that she overrides every protocol there is, both as a woman and as a woman who's hemorrhaging and shouldn't even be out in public, to push through the crowd to get to Jesus and just to touch his clothing. But you see, she wants to be anonymous. She wants to be hidden. She wants to be unseen. She just wants to have a quick touch of his coat and then off. And yet, Jesus stops because he says that he felt the power go out of him and he stops and he finds her. He doesn't just keep going on thinking, oh, well, that person's been healed, which he will, would have known. He actually stops, says, who touched me? She wasn't going to get to stay unseen and anonymous. That wasn't Jesus's plan for her that day because not only is she healed, but Jesus calls her daughter. And so not only is she healed physically, but in fact her identity is given back to her in that moment as he calls her daughter. And he t- it talks about, it uses the word that peace was released over her. Twelve years of struggle, twelve years of exhaustion. I mean, can you even just imagine how low her iron was, let alone anything else? No iron infusions, no capacity for her to manage just physically what 12 years of bleeding would have done to her, let alone the being ostracised from everybody because she shouldn't have been out in public. And, and yet in this case, coming closer did look like a desperate push. Like she actually had to, in, for her, she actually had to get through the crowd to Jesus, but then he didn't allow it to stay as an anonymous touch, but actually to be able to eyeball her and to say, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so I guess I just felt as I, and there are, there are obviously many other women's stories in Scripture of their encounters with Jesus, but I just felt the, the tale of these four women, if you like, I just, what I really wanted to do this evening as we continue this journey together is just to remember that there's no one size fits all for coming close to Jesus. And that even in our own lives, it will look different in different seasons. We will, I hope, I hope that all of us have moments that are like a Mary encounter where there's just that extravagant overflow because of the way that um, Jesus has met us and the extravagant love that he's poured out over us. But there may be times where, in fact, it's more like the Samaritan woman experience, where we feel kind of lost and we're going about the moments of our day-to-day and Jesus positions himself for a set-up moment with us. Or it might be that uh, we just feel bowed low by things and feel unseen, and Jesus reminds us one way or another that he sees us and calls us to come. Or we may have moments where, like the woman with the issue of blood, it actually is a press-through moment. It's a moment where we actually need to get through the crowd to be able to touch Jesus.